Amen. I am so glad that each one of you are here today. What a special day. And I want to thank you for being here. You know, there was a, a, a deacon whose faith had been revitalized at a, a Sunday evening evangelistic service. And uh, he had gone forward and he talked to the pastor and, and uh, he told him that now he was, he was ready to live for Jesus and he, he really wanted to be available for service. And, um, you know, the minister prayed with him and he thanked him and assured him that he would be called on. And so uh, later that evening, <laughs> that same night, a widowed mother... Uh, in the church, she called and, and wanted, uh, needed some help, and she wanted a, a, a ride for her son to go to a, the hospital the next day, which was in a city about 50 miles away, but uh, her ride had fallen through, and she needed to, to, him to go to this, see this specialist. And so uh, the, the pastor, you know, he thought, wow, he was smiling. He thought, man, what a providential um, provision of God. So he called the deacon, and he asked him about taking on this task. He said, would you mind taking uh, this lady and her son to the hospital? Well, it turned out uh, he was a little bit reluctant at first, and he said he was going to have to take like a half day off from work, and, uh, but he relented under the, the minister's general, uh, re- gentle reminder, and so he arranged for the time off, and he got up the next morning, and he went to this lady's house, and the mother was unable to go because of her other children. And so he carried the little boy who was not able to walk and he put him in his pickup and he sat down next to him and they, they took off headed for the hospital. And after driving a little while, the, the little boy, he looked up at the fella, the, the deacon and he said, you're God, aren't you? Well, the deacon said, no, of course not. He said, why would you say that? And he said, well, last night I heard my mother crying. And she was praying to God to send someone to take me to the hospital. And I thought, you must be God. The boy was quiet for a minute. And then he said, if you're not God, then you work for God, don't you? And this deacon, he said, with tears in his eyes and a little bit of thrill in his heart, he said, now... More than ever, son. Now, more than ever. Just let those words sink deeply. Now, more than ever. You know, this morning we have this privilege of setting apart, setting aside these deacons. And I want, I want to just, just recognize them so you know who they are, and, and they're going to be up front here in a little bit. But um, I'm going to ask Terry and Melissa Hand if you would stand just so that we could uh, have, a, have a look-see. This is Terry and Melissa Hand. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Brian and Jessica Smith, if, if you two would stand. Thank you. Thank you. And then uh, Travis and Lily Teague. All right. Thank you. Now, more than ever. You know, take note of those words more than ever because it tells the truth that God, that working for God has already been a practice in each one of these men's lives and their, and their families. See, your family of faith recognizes that because of what you already are a witness to, because you've already 
called you out from among them and we're charging you today to, to fulfill the ministry, to do the things that God is putting on your heart. What an, a humble and overwhelming honor, but what a responsibility. I know each one of you well enough to know that when you received the call about serving as a deacon, you were uh, probably experienced uh, a moment of shock. You were probably like, uh, me? Why, why me? Why are they calling me? As it should be, because becoming a deacon isn't a position that we seek. It's not something that we feel like we are owed. See, becoming a deacon is something that others see in you. They see a servant in you, and it's something that we surrender to. Just similar to, you know, a a call to the gospel ministry. It's a surrendering. It's saying, yes, Lord. Yes, I will. Yes, I will do that. See, your memorial family of faith has witnessed you in humble, loving service to God and to others, and the covenant you've made today is now, more than ever, I will lovingly and faithfully serve Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 um, is known as the love chapter. I like to say the love chapter. You know, and and, uh, it's funny because it's one of the most quoted scriptures at weddings. And I've used it at weddings myself that I have officiated. And and although it's an excellent guide for for couples who are just starting out uh, towards a lifetime of love, I'd like to rescue it from all the the toile and the the tuxedos and the painful renditions of a thousand years. But I want to read 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, and it says this, it says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into an account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child and think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly And then face to face, now I know in part, and then I will know fully, just as I I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, 
but the greatest of these is love. See, when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he wasn't thinking about romantic love. He was thinking of a different kind of family, a family of faith, the church. And you know, we use the word family a lot, uh, all the time here in the ministry at, at Memorial. Nearly every time we gather or whenever we post something, you know, even on Sunday morning, we might say, good morning, church family. And the reason is, is because we, we say that because we use the word family to teach. We use it so that we have something to aspire to. We, we use it to give a name to what we're trying to create. And that is a family of faith. See, all of our deacon candidates are active servant leaders in our ministry. We are setting them aside because we we recognize in them the things that God is doing in their lives. What a beautiful thing. Every week they use their gifts in service to this body. And I say, why? Why do they serve our body? Why do they serve the church? And I'll tell you why. Because they love our people. They believe in us, they root for us, they pray for us, they serve us, they are burdened for us. And I know enough about these men that God has filled them with love for our people. See, all four, and I say all four, I know I I recognized three uh, couples just a a little bit ago, but um, Ross Allen was also um, part of this class, if you will. This, uh, this group that we ordained, he's serving our, our country right now um, on a deployment. But they all feel this way about our church. They love her, they serve her, they believe in her, they, they pray for her, they root for her, they sacrifice for her. God has burdened them with a, a, a deep love for the, the mission and the vision of our church. Otherwise, they would not have been sa- saying yes to this undertaking. See, the culture that surrounded the Corinthian believers was a culture that knew very little of real love. And maybe they knew it when they saw it, but they simply did not see it. I mean, what they saw and what they experienced in Corinth was people who were using other people. There was people that was using other people and, 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 and they were using them for, for their own greed. They were using them for their own pleasure. They were using them for their own gain. And what they saw and experienced was a love that was puffed up with pride. They saw boastful people. They saw love that was conditional. They saw love that was self-serving. And the family of faith had to be different And so Paul is writing this to tell them what real love is and what it looks like. The family of faith had to love one another like their father loved them. Otherwise, everything they said, everything they believed, everything they did was void of meaning and purpose. See, Paul urges the church to remember that if humble, selfless, godlike love is not the origin of every spiritual gift and every act of worship, 
then even those gifts and acts are meaningless if it's not done with love. So if you teach a Bible class and you don't love, if you give 20% of your income as a tithe and you don't love, if you volunteer for a church work day, but you don't love, if you pray and you sing songs, but you don't love, if you greet at the door, but you don't love, if you dress moderately and, and never speak inappropriately, but do not love, if you have faith that moves mountains and knowledge that reveals all mysteries, but do not love, if you become a deacon and don't love, then you simply have a title. Your work is meaningless. See, this week as I reflected on Paul's list of deacon do's and don'ts, it dawned on me that the entire list could be summed up in one word, and that word is relationship. Having a relationship, deacons who genuinely care about their interpersonal relationships will be people who fulfill what the Bible says deacons are to do. See, deacons are genuinely, they care about the relationship with Christ, their own relationship with Christ and what that looks like. They will hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. See, relationships form the solid foundation by which the deacon's service is built. It all starts with this love and these relationships. See, the best deacons I know are those who passionately love God. He's number one. That's their first, that's their first love is, is, is God. And they have a heart for, of, of Christ, the heart of Christ for others, both in the community of faith, but also in the community of life. See, a deacon is committed to relationships. But also, secondly, I would say this, a deacon is also committed to being rather than doing to being rather than doing. In the New Testament writings concerning deacons, there is more emphasis on what deacons are to be rather than what they are to do. This is because being always comes before doing. We serve out of a heart of love, out of who we are, that causes us to do. See, deacons are to be, to be men of Christian spiritual maturity. They're to be right with God, right with their family. They're to be in right relationship with their fellow believers in every other way before they can actually do their jobs. They need to be right in all of these other areas. See, you're not being ordained to do. You're being ordained to be. You're being ordained today to love God and our church and to let that love be the wellspring of your service. A deacon is committed to relationships. A deacon is committed to being before doing. And a deacon is also committed to unity and fellowship. This is very significant. The loudest champions of the church should be the deacons. The strongest advocates for the church should be the deacons. See, we expect you to love and cherish this family so much that as a deacon, you constantly strive to keep her healthy and strong. 
In other words, you're charged with doing all you can to keep the fellowship sweet. I mean, you may remember in the sixth chapter of Acts, I'll wrap this up in just a moment. In the sixth chapter of Acts, it tells us that the incident that that happened in the early church that led to the formation of the deacons in, in the first place, it was the absence of unity. It was caused by the grumbling and complaining of some of the widows who felt like they had been overlooked in the the daily distribution of food, maybe even shortchanged. But with the help of those first seven deacons, peace was restored and the word of God prospered. And just like those seven deacons, every deacon here is charged with preserving the unity of the body. See, unity is a fragile thing. It can easily be damaged or destroyed by the idle words of gossip, quarreling, grumbling and complaining. Deacons should build up the church, not tear her down. So deacons are committed to relationships. They're committed to being before doing And they're committed to unity and fellowship among the family. But listen, the rest of us here this morning are not off the hook. This is not a graduation ceremony. This is not a public award for service. This is not just about these couples and these men. It's about all of us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be part of the family of faith. See, all members of the family are expected. They're expected to be committed to these relationships, to to be before doing, and to, to, to hold the unity and fellowship of the family together. But we've chosen. We've chosen from among us these brothers and their wives who are humbly already leading by example. They're already doing these things. Our brothers and their wives, who who, they're going to join another 12 couples in our church that we've already ordained, we've already set them apart as servants of God to, to this family. We trust you to love us unconditionally, to love us, We look for you to be examples of love and service, and we believe that our burdens will be your burdens. We implore you to prayerfully intercede for us, and we need your help to work through conflict. Not to create it, not to fan the flames, but to work through conflict. We expect you to never let us forget our God-given mission. And this morning, we ordain you to wholeheartedly love God and our memorial family of faith now more than ever. Now more than ever.